Do please have a Bible open at Romans chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. You will need your outline this morning too. On the back of the piece of paper you were given as you came in, it's got some extra verses on it from the Old and New Testaments. Let's pray and ask God to help us understand his word. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Bible is your word, that you have spoken to us, that you tell us the truth about yourself. We pray this morning as we hear about the glorious new covenant that you'll fill us with love for the Lord Jesus, fill us with your Holy Spirit and empower us to live our lives for you with hearts set apart for you and loving you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Sometimes you need to take people away from a good thing to give them the best thing. I don't remember, but uh, I'm sure it is nice for a baby to be in the womb, all warm and protected and snuggled up. But if a baby's really going to live, it needs to be taken out away from the womb with all the pain that involves. The imperial system of measurement, it was all right. Ounces and pounds and yards and miles. But let's face it, metric is much simpler. It makes better sense. And again... To get into the metric system, you have to be taken out of the imperial system. Sometimes you need to take people away from a good thing to give them the best thing. Back in chapter 6 and verse 14 of this book of Romans, Paul has said that we have been taken away from the law. That's talking about the, God's law given through Moses, set down for us in the first five books of the Bible, of the Old Testament. Paul says we're not under this law anymore. You can see it there in chapter 6 and verse 14. Sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. But of course, God's law is a good thing, isn't it? It says things like, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. You'd agree with that, wouldn't you? It says, love your neighbour as you love yourself. You'd be for that, wouldn't you? It says, don't murder or don't steal. The law is good. And so, if you take people away from the law, it raises all kinds of questions. Questions like the one there in verse 15, immediately following. Chapter 6 and verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Obvious question, isn't it? We're not under the law of Moses anymore. We've been taken away from that good thing. And so the question arises, is that some kind of a license to sin? Does that mean I don't have to love God anymore? I don't have to love my neighbour anymore? That's the question. And last week we saw the first part of Paul's answer to the question. Now last week we saw he didn't address the issue of law specifically. He took us back to the root problem. The root problem is not having the law or not having the law. Paul showed us the illustration of slavery. And he said the reason we sin is the fact that we are slaves to sin. And so if we're going to deal with sin, we need to be set free from it. We need to get a new master. And that's what happens when you become a Christian. You get set free from sin and God becomes your master. Now having gone back to the basics, Paul actually takes us to the issue of law itself. He addresses the issue of what do you do with the Old Testament law. There are two big things that he reveals for us in this little passage today. He talks about what it means that we're not under the law. And he tells us 
the reason that we're not under law, what it means that we're not under law, and why we are not under the law. Okay, chapter 7 and verse 1 sets up a pretty obvious principle. Law only applies to people who are alive. No point telling a corpse to honour its parents. And punishing a corpse for not keeping the law, you're wasting your time. Once you're dead, the law doesn't apply to you anymore. Chapter 7 and verse 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, from speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? The law is only for living people. Once you're dead, you're not under its authority anymore. And then Paul uses another illustration. This time it's the illustration of marriage. I'm sure it's completely unrelated to the illustration of slavery that he's just been using. Uh, We move on to the illustration of marriage. And Paul uses marriage as an example of how law finishes when there's death. It works like this. A woman is married to a man while he's still alive. She marries someone else while he's still alive. She's committing adultery. She's committing bigamy because she's under the law of this marriage. But if a husband dies, everything changes. She's no longer married to that first man. Now she is free to marry someone else. Verse 2 it is. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive. But if a husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband's still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if a husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress even though she marries another man. Simple principle. Death severs a woman from being under the law of her first husband. It sets her free from that law and it sets her free to marry someone else. There's the example and Paul uses that to illustrate our relationship to the law. It's a little bit like that with us and the Old Testament. The law was like our first husband. But now, through the death of Jesus on the cross, we have died to that first husband. That marriage, it's over. It's finished. We're set free from the law. And we're set free to marry someone else. Now we're free to be married to to Jesus. Verse 4, it's there. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another to him who was raised from the dead. You see how Paul's using this marriage illustration? It's like we were married to the Old Testament law, but now that marriage has been terminated by death. We've been set free to enter into a new marriage to Jesus. And so that's our relationship to the Old Testament. That's what it means when it says we're not under the law of Moses anymore. For us, the law of Moses is finished. The commandments of the Old Testament have no authority over Christians anymore. None of them. That covenant, that marriage, that system, it's finished for us. It's past history. And so we come back to our question. Surely that is a recipe for sin, isn't it? Does that mean I can murder and steal and dishonor my parents and worship idols and commit adultery? Does that mean I don't have to love God or love my neighbor anymore? Well, notice the reason given there in verse 4. Notice why we are set free from the law. We're not set free from the law so we can sin. It's actually the complete opposite. The reason we were set free from the law and brought into relationship with Jesus 
was so we could serve God, so we could bear fruit for God. It's there at the end of verse 4. We died to the law so we could be related to Jesus. And see the reason here, the purpose? In order that we might bear fruit to God. Okay, so not set free from the law so we can sin, set free from the law so we can bear fruit for God. It's a case of being taken away from a good thing so we can have the best thing. We're taken away from the law so we can be united to Jesus. And we're united to Jesus so we can produce the fruit that God wants for us. Now, there's a little hint here. Um, The way that Paul has said this is very important because he's using an allusion, a a hint that comes from the Old Testament. It's, It's in this idea of bearing fruit. Because the idea of bearing fruit has got a long history in the Bible. It's an image that God uses in a couple of the prophets in the Old Testament. And it's an image that is then picked up by John the Baptist and by Jesus himself. In the Old Testament, Israel, of course, were God's people. And God did everything for them. He gave them his law. He brought them into the promised land. He protected them. He gave them rulers. But Israel did not bear fruit for God. They didn't live the kind of lives that God wanted for them. They didn't love and obey God the way he wanted. And in a number of passages, God says so. But the classic passage is that passage that Warren read for us before, Isaiah chapter 5. God compares Israel to a vineyard. He says he did everything for his vineyard, but Israel refused to bear fruit. They bore only bad grapes. On your outline there, I've put just the first couple of verses again. From Isaiah chapter 5, and notice the fruit uh, illustration here. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Israel had God's law, but it didn't work for them. They didn't bear fruit. They didn't live the way God wanted. And that was true right up to the time of Jesus. Israel still had the law, but they still weren't producing the fruit that God wanted. And you may remember when Jesus came, he told a very similar parable, didn't he? A parable about a vineyard. God is the owner. The rulers of Israel are the tenants. But when the owner comes to collect his fruit, the tenants say, no way, we're not giving it to you. It's a consistent pattern. It's an image used again and again. Israel had the law, but they could not produce the fruit that God wanted. And in verse 5, Paul spells it out a bit more. He says, as long as Israel were slaves to the sinful nature, the law couldn't help them. That covenant could not produce fruit. It just produced fruit for death. There in verse 5. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. Law can't fix the problem. It never could. It can tell us what to do but it can't give us the power to do it. Can't produce the fruit God wants. And that's why we needed to die to the law. That's why we needed a new husband. That's why we needed a new covenant, a new marriage. We needed to be taken away from the good thing of law so we could be given a better thing, so we could produce fruit for God. And that's exactly what Paul says in verse 6. He says, now we've been released from the law so we can serve God in a whole new way. 
And notice again the way he puts it, because it's a, an allusion to the Old Testament. He says, we serve God in the new way of the Spirit. There in verse 6. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law, so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Again, this language about the Spirit, it's from the Old Testament, this time from Ezekiel 36. Back in Ezekiel's time, he was talking to the uh, Judah, Israel, when they were in exile. They, they consistently failed to produce fruit for God, and God had, had thrown them out of the land, brought them into exile. But God says that he will establish a new covenant, a new way of serving, a way based on the giving of his Holy Spirit. It's there on your outline from Ezekiel chapter 36. God said, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God always knew that the covenant of law couldn't produce the fruit he wanted. He always knew that the first husband of law couldn't deal with sin. And so he promised a new covenant. And I'm hoping that's ringing some bells for you. Because, of course, it's exactly what Jesus said he came to bring, isn't it? When we share in the Lord's Supper, uh, what, uh, what did Jesus say the cup of wine represented? Can you remember? The new covenant. The new covenant brought in through his death on the cross. Or John chapter 15, that very famous passage, he picks up on the idea of bearing fruit. He says, if you're united to me, then you'll be able to bear fruit. Chapter 15 of John, I've put it there on your outline again. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Can you see, this idea of, of being set free from the law to be in a new covenant, it's not Paul's idea at all, is it? It's not a new idea. It's there in the Old Testament. It's there in the teaching of Jesus. And the illusions that Paul uses, fruit, the spirit, they point us back to these Old Testament precedents. But the point is this. You can't be married to two husbands at once. The only way to come into the new covenant is to be set free from the old covenant. If we're going to get the best, we need to be taken away from the good. You can't be in two covenants at once. So if you want to be in covenant with Jesus, if you want to be married to Jesus, if you want to be in the new covenant, you need to be released from the old. And that is why we are not under the law of Moses. It's not so we can sin. It's so we can serve God under the new covenant. In the new way of the Spirit, it's so we can actually do what Israel could never do. We can actually bear fruit for God. Do you see the reason? Okay. Can you see what this passage is all about? Paul is discussing our relationship to the Old Testament law. He says, the Old Testament law has no authority over us anymore. We are dead to it. That covenant is finished. But we haven't been taken away from the Old Testament law so we can sin. We've been taken away so we can serve God under a new covenant. So we can be united to Jesus, filled with God's spirit, 
bear fruit for God. This is actually immensely theologically rich stuff. There is stacks of stuff to talk about here. But this morning I just want us to briefly explore two key ideas. First, I want us to think about the place of the Old Testament in our Christian lives. It's important that we understand what it means that we're not under God's Old Testament law. And this passage is laid it out for us. It's got no authority over us. We don't serve God on the basis of the written code. That covenant, that marriage, that relationship has ceased. And it's not a new idea. We see from the Old Testament itself that it's necessary that that happens. We see from the Old Testament itself that it is expected that that will happen. We're not under this law. But that doesn't mean that the law of Moses is irrelevant. It's not time for us to tear out the first five books of the Bible. Because look again with me at the quote from Ezekiel. Look again at what this new covenant entails. There on your outline, back in that quote from Ezekiel, God says, I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Or in Jeremiah, God put it like this. He said, I will write my law on their hearts. So here's the way it works. We serve God in a whole new way. We're under a new covenant. We're united to Jesus. We're empowered by the Spirit. We don't serve God because it is written down in laws. We serve God because he's given us a new heart that wants to serve him. But the content of serving God in many ways remains the same. It's not exactly the same by any means. But it is God's law that is written on our hearts. Now, of course, God's law is fulfilled in Jesus. And so the way that we will actually deal with any specific law within the Old Testament will vary. Um, Some Old Testament laws are obviously still for us to continue obeying. The fact that Jesus has fulfilled them for us doesn't mean that we don't continue to obey them. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. I mean, Jesus himself picks up on them in the New Testament, doesn't he? They're still for us to continue obeying. Then on the other hand, some laws are obviously not still for us to obey in the same way today. The New Testament tells us that Jesus fulfills them in such a way that they don't require any further action on our behalf. The law of sacrifice, for example. His sacrifice means we don't need to go to the temple and offer sacrifices anymore. The New Testament also tells us that's the case with eating kosher. We don't need to do it anymore. Following a specific Sabbath day, we don't need to do it anymore. What we do with any individual Old Testament law is going to depend on the nature of that law and the way Jesus has fulfilled it. We we do need to think hard about the Old Testament law and about how it applies to us today. And a good rule of thumb is to just see the way the New Testament deals with it. But the point is, it's not irrelevant to us. Okay, an illustration to try to help us think about it. How does it work then that we're not under the authority of the Old Testament law, but yet it can still inform us? Best illustration I've heard is this. The Old Testament law is a little bit like a retired professor. It's almost a biblical illustration, this one from Galatians. This retired professor does not set the exams for us anymore. We're not under his authority. We're not going to be accountable to him at the end of the year. But this retired professor knows a lot about the subject. And so we would be very wise to go to this professor for advice. That's the way the Old Testament law works. It has no authority over us anymore, but it's still a helpful guide 
to our spirit-empowered new covenant service to God. See how it works? Okay, that's point number one. Leads to the final point. And this is really the, the heart of what Paul is trying to get at for us here today. He's actually trying to challenge us. He's saying, we weren't taken away from the law so that we could sin. The whole reason we were taken away from the law was so we could be in a new covenant, so we could bear fruit of obedience to God. God has taken us away from the good thing of the law to give us the best thing. And so the challenge is for us to bear fruit for God. The challenge is to serve God in the new way of the Spirit. The challenge is to love and serve our new husband, Jesus. One thing I've noticed about marriage is this. The nicer you are to your wife, the more willing she is to help you. The occasional kind word, a listening ear every now and then, come home and you ask what you've been doing for the last week and you don't say nothing but you actually make an effort to, to, to converse the odd flower or two they have a good effect they have a good effect in a marriage they actually help your wife want to help you not that I'm being mercenary about it at all <clears throat> I can tell you now because Carmelina found out my secret at the beginning of the year I went down to the florist and I gave him a couple hundred dollars and I said, I want you to send flowers to Carmelina every month with a note. So she thinks I keep on sending her flowers every month. But she's worked out now that I just did it all in one go. <laughs> the point is... I've lost the point completely. What was the point? <laughs> the point is, the nicer you are to your wife, the more willing she will be to help you. <laughs> In Christ, we've got ourselves a very nice husband, haven't we? We've got ourselves a husband who loves us. We've got ourselves a husband who gave up his life in agony on a cross for us to give us the very best. We've got ourselves a husband who has given us his spirit to help us. We've got ourselves a husband who is going to come back for us and transform us and bring us to a sin-free eternity. And so we should love him, shouldn't we? We should serve him. How could we do anything else with a husband like that? He's not just like the law who tells us what to do but doesn't help us do it. Here he is, he's loved us, he's set us free, he's forgiven us, he empowers us by his spirit, he gives us a new heart. This new covenant service, it's not about rules, but loved by Jesus, filled with the Spirit, we should want to serve our husband. And so there's the challenge. When we're tempted to sin, we need to say, no, Jesus is my husband now. He's set me free from this sin. He's given me a new heart. He's given me a spirit. I belong to him. I want to obey him. And positively, as we, as we work through every aspect of our lives, as we saw in the children's talk, we do it with our husband in mind. In our work, in our homes, in our leisure. In all of these things, we know we have a husband who loves us. We need to live in a way that pleases him. See the point? It's actually a, 
a loving challenge, isn't it? God has taken us away from the Old Testament law, but not so we can sin. He's taken us away from the law to give us the best thing. We're in a new covenant. We are the bride of Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit. And so now we should serve our loving husband, serve our God in the new way of the Spirit. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the new covenant that you promised and that you have brought to fulfilment in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that united to him and filled with your Holy Spirit, we are set free from our sin, forgiven for all that is past, and you are empowering us to live for you. And the day is coming when you will come for us and transform us and bring us to be with you forever without sin. Our Father, with this past and with this hope in mind, strengthen us now by your Spirit to live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.